Welcome, welcome, welcome to Real Job Talk, the podcast about jobs, careers, and what's not said at the water cooler. I'm Kat Troyer. And I'm Liz Bronson. So we are super excited for our conversation with today's guests because their journey is similar to ours. Today, we'll be talking about having a career peer, which is a person who's on your board of advisors, who's also your peer, and who you can identify with because your journey in theirs is similar. Liz and I started as colleagues, became friends, and then maintained that friendship after we left those roles. And uh, we became sounding boards for each other and advisors, and now we're collaborating on this podcast together. I bet that journey sounds similar to our guests. Good night. Um, I met Emily Kersey and Nate Karchner because they were both candidates for roles I was working on. Neither of them took the jobs, but they were so great to work with that we've become friends and we've talked about collaborating on projects together. Nate and Emily are marketers and friends who are now collaborating with each other on innovative projects. Welcome, Nate and Emily, and please share your individual career journeys with us. So I'm Nate Karchner, and uh, I've been working in marketing and marketing-related fields for the past 15 years. Um, all, almost 100% of that has been digital, uh, and it's definitely been an interesting career path because I fell into it, and I just keep falling into it. So um, <laughs> once you start doing it, it works for you. You just keep going, I guess. But no, it's been really exciting, uh, and one of the best things that introduced me to some really fantastic people, in, including... Uh, my co-guest, uh, Emily Kersey. So. And I'm Emily. Um, I'm a recovering field biologist. Um, so I, I've been <laughs> working in tech for about the last, I don't know, 13, 14 years. Um, and most of that has been in sort of greenfield marketing program development and campaign marketing. Uh, I worked with uh, my co-guest, Nate, uh, for a couple of years there. And then uh, right now I'm working for a company and helping them sort of build out and optimize their partner marketing. So definitely kind of more on the sort of programs and campaign side and some of the content stuff. Um, but yeah, similar similar to Nate. Cool. Awesome. Well, welcome both of you to the show. So how would you guys describe your relationship? Tell us a little bit about how your relationship evolved over the years and how has it changed since you stopped working together? Yeah. So um, it's funny. When Emily and I first started working together uh, towards the end of 2015, it's it's funny because we actually did not get along that well. Like, you know, I think she had just joined and uh, I was a bit of a cowboy. And I think it made Emily kind of uncomfortable because I would just go and do stuff without worrying about the risks or, you know, how it was going to be perceived by the greater organization because I thought this is going to be great and it's going to work. I was pretty, uh, pretty convinced. And so there was a fair amount of friction, I, you know, for the first several months that we worked together. Um, but I think it was actually the time, what changed it was we ended up traveling together. We went to a trade show and we ended up having to spend a bunch of time in the booth together. And over that time, I think one of the key things that happened was I forced her to drink, to hydrate, get a lot of water. But after that point, um, you know, we stopped getting on each other's nerves. We started uh, getting to know each other better and working uh, a little bit more smoothly together. And over time, uh, I've really come to value, you know, the impact that she's had. Well, we can talk more about that further in, but, you know, I have to say I'm definitely a better person for having met her. And, uh, that's, I think become even clearer post working together, um, as we've kind of worked on the side stuff together. And, you know, as I've realized that we have more that glues us together than just the place that we work. I want to hear more about like 
how you were going rogue. Like what, what were you doing? Well, that was hard. And Emily, I kind of want to hear from you, like, your perspective. Like why was Nate such a bad team player? Um, I, he'd, he'd worked independently for a long time. So as like, I was new kind of to the team. And so I was a little bit disruptive to his ability to just, um, kind of act and ship, you know, so he would develop Mm -hmm. something and he would ship it. And so I've, I've probably seemed like, um, additional steps, additional time cost, um, in my wanting to review stuff. Um, and so that was kind of a problem, but we realized you know, in order for each of us to sort of meet our individual goals, like we act, we just had to work together. So we really had to find a way to kind of get through kind of all of that conflict. And then over time, we worked so closely together that we, you know, we, people joke that we share a brain, you know, we have finished each other's sentences and meetings. And, um, I think it makes other people sort of, uh, kind of look at us twice sometimes. And then, um, the good thing is now that we're at different companies, we have so much more objectivity because we're not in the same situation. Like we may have similar situations, but we're not, you know, experiencing the exact same stress or the exact same sort of frustrations. And so I know that um, now that we've, we're no longer working at the same place, it's really been beneficial because we can kind of bring that strength to having kind of that extra layer of sort of emotional separation from whatever the problem is mm-hmm. um, and kind of provide that feedback. So that's been really good for us. Yeah, I agree. And so, Emily, how else has it evolved since you don't work together anymore? So for us, um, you know, we were really different, um, but we kind of have that that common language. And so because we have kind of that framework to work from, um, it doesn't take a lot of, you know, context setting for me to sort of share something. And I think that um, partly because we, we talk so often, um, I'm not trying to catch him up on a month of high level, here's what's happened in the last month, right? Like we can have really granular conversations because, you know, we may be catching up on the last two hours or we may be catching up on the last, you know, 36 and, and being able to sort of have that, you know, in a way we almost have our own language. And so I think that that's been something that, um, we've kind of relied on. Yeah. And I think, you know, thinking about what's changed since we have stopped working at the same place, um, you know, because we're not always wrapped up in the like work maelstrom of like, here's what's happening at work that we're sharing that experience. I feel like, um, in some ways our conversations have developed even more depth where we're talking about things that matter to us more deeply as just people trying to make our way through life, as opposed to just being very like work focused, like you believe so-and-so did this or like this, uh, <laughs> this problem is, is ridiculous or, you know, it's, uh, it's actually taken on like an additional uh, depth that I've found uh, to be extremely valuable. So, so how do you work together now? Um, so we, um, one of the things that we sort of realized as we, it became clear that we were not going to land at the same company through no fault of Liz. Um, <laughs> we, we had an idea that that, that that might work out at one point And we thought that that would be really great because we kind of didn't want sort of the party to end. And then the more we sort of realized that that wasn't um, an opportunity, we really wanted to find a way to kind of formalize continuing to work together. And I know that for me, Nate and I, although we do similar things, we have very different perspectives on everything. And so he's become a very important part of my creative process as a marketer. And I didn't want to sort of lose that connection. And so um, about this time last year, we decided to sort of formalize that into a business. Um, And so now we're actually... 
past colleagues, current friends, and also current business partners. So that's kind of how we've maintained that connection. So we, much like you guys have with your podcast, we have found ways to, in a way, we're still coworkers, mm-hmm. um, but we get to make all the decisions and we have kind of ultimate control, which is uh, a little bit like kids in a candy shop. <laughs> and also it's way more awkward when you complain about your coworkers. Mm-hmm. Very true. Right, right. That is true. So tell us a little bit about your current project that you're working on. Yeah. So uh, what we're working on is um, we have what's called OSA Ventures. And basically, it's it's a company that we've set up that you know, the best way to think about it is uh, like a think tank for our ideas. So, you know, rather than coming at this from the perspective of, hey, here's a specific problem that we want to solve and here's the product that we're going to make to solve this problem. Instead, we've come at it from the perspective of, hey, we really enjoy working with each other. We really, I I feel like we come up with really good ideas together and we really enjoy doing these things together. So let's just do what sounds interesting to us. And uh, when it's no longer interesting to us or it's not really working, we can move on to something else that's interesting interesting to us. Um, and because we don't really, we're not necessarily relying on the business uh, for 100% of our incomes, uh, mm-hmm. we, can, we can afford to be that way, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's my pretty strong belief that, you know, if we're doing what we're passionate about and it is delivering value to other people, like sooner probably than later, one of the things we work on is going to take off and, and actually become, you know, something significant in terms of helping other people and driving revenue for the business. Um, but in the meantime, we're having a pretty good time. So. So are you coming up with products? Are you working for clients? Like, tell us a little bit more, like if someone's like, Ooh, I like these two, I want to hire them. Like what, what does that even look like? What does that entail? What kind of work? And that's something we've actually sort of struggled with because right now we are like both sort of booked beyond capacity, which I have Mm -hmm. to say, like in this current climate, like I'm incredibly fortunate um, to sort of be in that situation. Um, And so for us, one of the things that we was really important to us when we started was we always wanted to set ourselves up um, to be able to say no. Mm-hmm. And so we really get to be ultra choosy. And so right now, um, both of us are working um, full-time at companies uh, by choice. Um, and in addition to that, we're working on projects that we just think are really fun. So we also have a podcast and that is our favorite project. And maybe it's it's definitely my favorite thing that I've probably ever created. And so that's been really great. And from a product's perspective, we do kick around ideas. We're not currently in product development you know, Nate talked about, we sort of have this kind of think tank or sort of digital laboratory approach to our business, which is a little bit unconventional. If you try to talk to any sort of old school business consultants, they think that we've gone mad. Um, Mm -hmm. And we're okay with that. Um, Mm -hmm. And so for us, we wanted to kind of vet ideas through some consulting work, which we've done. And then we wanted to sort of productize where that sort of felt right. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things that can be tricky about consulting is it's not always the work that brings us the most joy. And so we're really trying to balance, you know, Nate talks about when it loses interest to us, like we do move away from it. And it's a very conscious choice of, um, you know, life is way too short to be miserable or do work that we hate doing, right? And especially Mm -hmm, if we're trying to squeeze it into our nights or our weekends, Mm -hmm. um, it has to be something that I can't wait to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, So we don't have anything that we would say, yes, we're launching this in Q2. And we have a very, probably the most fluid roadmap. Um, 
at any company, but that's something that it's definitely on the table because we have an interest, as Nate said, in sort of monetizing these things and we have some some passive income or you know passive revenue goals that we're interested in. But product is something that we feel like is comes at a stage where we have a real clear perspective and a really clear value proposition. And then it really becomes about commercializing that. Awesome. And yeah, if it's your side gig and it doesn't bring you joy or makes you miserable, adios. I mean mm-hmm. Yeah, you can, you just can't yeah. unless you have to, and if you don't have to, check yourself. Um, so that makes perfect sense to just work on what you love because it's like a hobby; it's not your actual gig. And I want to hear a little bit more about the podcast. Mm-hmm. Tell tell us about the podcast. We are super excited about the podcast. Uh, we call it Good Working Order, <laughs> uh, and the reason we call it that is because. You know, over the course of Emily and I working together, uh, you know, we definitely experienced quite a few uh, times of crunch uh, where we would just be working insane hours and just being worn into the ground. And uh, inevitably, one of us would break down in some way, physically, emotionally, whatever, because that's what happens when you push yourself too hard. And the other one would always you know, yell into the phone, you're supposed to stay in good working order. Like this is, uh, because we, uh, we care about each other. So over the years, we've developed a a pretty, uh, healthy obsession with self-improvement and finding ways to balance work and life and advance your career while not sacrificing a lot of the other things that are, that, that are important. Uh, and so, on our podcast, we basically talk about a lot of the things that we've experienced, some of the things that we've found that have worked well for us, and uh, things that have driven a, you know our lives forward in a lot of different ways, both professionally as well as personally. But I don't know, Emily, if you have anything you want to add to that. I think that that I think that does a great job of summing it up. I think that I share this in common with Nate is we're always trying to be better today than we were yesterday. And that, you know, that's emotionally, that's, you know, psychologically. And so if you were able to listen in to the majority of our conversations, it's not about, oh, I'm going to this barbecue and oh, I'm doing this and I'm doing this. It's like, hey, I had this experience and we, because we were sort of so reliant on this kind of sounding board, um, we're basically kind of opening up those conversations that we have all the time. We, <laughs> in hopes that it helps other people or that makes people feel slightly less alone. Or yeah. I think that, you know, sort of being vulnerable is, is definitely very weird and like we're kind of adjusting to it. But I think that a lot of the content that I, that I gravitate towards most is sort of in that vein. Uh-huh. Um, originally, we thought, we'll do a marketing podcast. We're two marketers, what could be better? And um, this is a perfect example of, we weren't fired up enough to get it done. So we talked about it for months and months and months. And it's like, yeah, yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. And I called him one day and I said, I don't want to do a marketing podcast because uh, I hate the sound of doing that. <laughs> and I said, um, these are the kind of topics I want to talk about. And I started to launch into it. And then he launched into 17 other topics. And we just sort of like, it was really like a match, you know, igniting. And so mm-hmm. for us, like, those are the things that we're like, and, and all of a sudden, once we kind of had that, that sort of pivot, 
um, we were sort of producing and I think we had the trailer recorded within, I don't know, maybe three or four weeks. And um, we have the longest list of topics and things we want to talk about. And it's something that we definitely care about enough to carve out time for. So that's mm-hmm. a perfect example of six months of chasing something that we hated to then turn it into something that we were really passionate about. So that's kind of where we we just sort of kind of continue to navigate towards like the bright, shiny things that we're attracted to. <laughs> well, and I think with a podcast or a blog or something, it's like, you have to feel like you're coming with a unique voice mm-hmm. or it's just like, Oh, another marketing podcast. That's great. You know, like snooze fest. Mm-hmm. We'll keep you posted when the political podcast launches. Cause that is also <laughs> in development. Awesome. Interesting. Yeah. So you guys live you know, thousands of miles apart. Um, but you do a lot together. Talk to us a little bit about how you stay connected. Like, I know you exercise together. You do your own book group. Like, tell us a little more how you stay connected and make sure you have those similar topics to talk about. Yeah, I mean, um, it's this is another one of those things that sort of evolved as we were working together where um, we would both be desperate to get out of the house after yes. hours and hours of meetings. And so mm-hmm. we would book time on each other's calendars and then we would go for a walk and we just call it going on a walk and talk. Mm-hmm. And we still call it that today. Uh, like, hey, you got time for a walk and talk? Okay, cool. Like, Let me go grab my shoes. Nice. I love that. And it kind of evolved from there because we would go on these walk and talks and um, we would start talking about some of the stuff that we were reading or some ideas that we had had or things in the past that had worked for us with whatever problem we were struggling with at the moment or whatever thing we've been thinking about. And then from there, it sort of evolved to where, um, you know, Emily had gotten into running. I hate running, but I was like, I feel like I should as a good person who's trying to do uh, to be my best self, I should probably try to figure out how to make this work for me. So we started running together. And then... Side note, Nate is very competitive. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little bit. Like, nope, nope. Yes, that's true. <laughs> I was like, nobody's going to go running and I can't go running. I'm going to go running. I bet I can run more. I, it may be a problem. <laughs> yeah, so we we started doing that. I mean, the book club thing is something similar where we both you know, in talking with each other thought, Hey, I have this goal to read more books. You have this goal to read more books. You know what help us both read more books? If we read the same books and then talked about the stuff that we read, like, because it's fun to read books, but it's really fun to talk about books after you Mm -hmm. read them. Mm -hmm. And there's some accountability that gets built into that. And so that's kind of how that got started. And now that's just become a fixture. Like that's just part of, uh, it's just kind of part of our day-to-day lives of, trying to do things together, even though we're far apart, kind of helps us to stay in sync. And, you know, one of the other nice things, despite my competitiveness, uh, I'm also a very slow runner. And so it's great to exercise with somebody when you can't actually see (laughs) how they're doing, uh, because it lets you go at your own pace and still feel like you're in it, you know, in it to win it, which is a Mm -hmm. nice little side effect. And because we, you know, we have so many sort of competing interests for time, it's been about like, how can we do the most things at the same time? And so like we, we run together with headsets on, um, while talking about the book that we're reading. So like, it's, how can we sort of, you know, you know, manage this in the best way. And so how our book club works is we have, 
books that will kind of throw an idea by the other person. And then whoever's pick of the month it is, they just ship two books, like one to one person's house and one to the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you, we sort of read them. And sometimes we say like, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm behind on my reading. And so it's definitely like not very, um, official, but it kind of helps keep us moving towards that, that goal of sort of getting, you know, getting, you know, developing professionally and, and staying focused. Cause it's really easy to get busy. And then, you know, I, I know that I always, if I'm looking to leave a job or if I've left a job, I'm like, Oh, I'm going to read these 17 business books. And I'm like, <laughs> I should just read these all the time to help me do my job better. So, um, it's, it's been a little bit of that too. So what's been a game changer book for you guys? Oh man, that's a good question. Uh, I'm trying to think back. We're a little behind on book club. Wow. So what was the name of the negotiation book that we read? Do you remember? Oh yeah. So uh, we read um, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss and he was a mm-hmm. former FBI negotiator. And mm-hmm. so the whole idea of Never Split the Difference is if you're, if you're a hostage negotiator, you can't say like, okay, why don't you give me two hostages and you keep two? Um, because it's it like they have to get 100% of what they want every single time. And so it's a really interesting book. It's definitely been geared towards business. Um, I think he has like a ma- like a masterclass now um, mm-hmm. that he, that I know that Instagram's been pushing tons of ads for. Um, but yeah, that's been a real, it's been a real good book because negotiation, the thing that everyone needs to do, but nobody wants to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is absolutely true. And I, that book did a lot to change speaking personally, did a lot to change my perspective on negotiation and how I had been approaching it, you know, my entire career. And it's great because uh, it's come in, it's already come in handy a couple of times. So uh, I think that was really helpful. Um, We've also really enjoyed some stuff from Brene Brown. Uh, In fact, one of her books has really impacted the way that we work together uh, as business partners and how we, how we deal with some of the awkward conversations that can come up as, uh, you know, we're both, we're friends, but we also have a, a business together. So what, which, which book are you referring to? Uh, we read, um, dare to lead. Okay. So um, you guys rumble. Is, we yeah. do. And we, <laughs> and, and we actually have gotten to the point where we say it. So, I mean, I, I had known before sort of, we became business partners. I'd known him for, you know, talked to him every single day at work for, you know, three something years and thought mm-hmm. like, Oh, you know, we've traveled all over the world together, um, for work and, you know, you know, we don't have any secrets. We can just have any kind of conversation. And like, I will tell you, there is nothing more vulnerable and feeling exposed than saying like, Hey, uh, what's your social security number again? And having some very awkward conversations about, you know, I feel like my needs are not being met or I feel Mm -hmm. like, I mean, it's, it is a constant rebalancing. Mm -hmm. And so what we really liked is she sort of talks about this, like rumbling, you know, with vulnerability of like flagging to the other person, I'm going to say something that is uncomfortable. You're not going to like it, this conversation. But also remember, my soft underbelly is completely exposed and sort of like asking that person to not, like to remember that you also feel uncomfortable and vulnerable. And so we actually kind of use it as a way, like where we'll actually just say it of like, hey, I need to rumble. Better rumble a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or we'll mm-hmm. say like, we need to have like a Brene Brown moment mm-hmm. and we'll talk about whatever the thing is, but it's kind of this way of sort of formalizing you know, people in meetings joke about like, oh, this stays in the cone of silence. It's kind of that same way of like, you're creating a space to kind of be safe. And yeah, um, I'm really proud of our, I, I think that if I've only gotten one thing out of it, um, we've gotten really good at having really uncomfortable conversations and so important. Proud of us for doing yeah. that. That's awesome. 
I love that book, Dare to Lead. It's the only book that I've read of her so far, but um, I've already bought it for a couple of my clients just because I think it's 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 a good handbook for a leader. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even just um, don't even need to be a leader to read it. I think we, we, we're all leading ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I wish that everyone who manages people or runs companies with employees would read it now um, because it definitely talks about how can you show up for your team without, you know, and, and sort of acknowledge their anxieties, um, which everyone has a lot of right now, without just transmitting all of your emotional baggage yes. to your direct reports. And I think that she does a really great job of kind of helping figure out that line of kind of being human and empathetic, but like not just like appropriate vulnerability, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was interesting too. Which is not, you know, a hundred percent transparency of all emotion. Mm-hmm. It's, a, mm-hmm. it's like those are two different concepts, and I think she articulates it incredibly well. Yeah. Well, and if you're in a partnership, you have to be able to be open like that, or else you're not going to be able to partner very well because you're both going to be building up your baggage. So that vulnerability with each other is so important if you're going to move forward as business business partners and colleagues are different things. And so if you're going as business partners, you have to be able to be open and do like confrontational in a non, you know, I hate you after way and all of those things. And I think we can, we've gotten to the point where we, we can sense each other well enough to know when sort of that baggage is building up, you know? Mm -hmm. So like when we have those conversations, it's not necessarily a surprise, but I think, I can't think of one conversation, even if every second of it sucked. um, I can't think of one conversation where both of us didn't feel better at the end of it. Like Mm -hmm. we've always come out of it where, you know, an hour later we'll send each other like a a message and just be like, I'm so glad we talked. I feel so much better about X, Y, Z. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, great. That's absolutely true. Cool. So I guess this is a weird question to ask, but like, what do you, and it seems so obvious from what you say, but like, what do you get out of this, especially now that you don't work together? Like, and so more than the friendship, like obviously you have a deep friendship and, and collegial thing going on, but in your own words, what do you get out of having such a close professional relationship? Yeah. Um, I mean, I can speak for myself and then I'll let uh, Emily answer, but I know for me, you know, over the course of working together, I really came to rely on, uh, on Emily. And one of the reasons why is as she noted, we're really different. You know, we see things very differently. We approach things very differently. We have very different viewpoints on, on many things. And you know, over the years, I've come to uh, rely on sort of having somebody who looks at something differently that I can lean on and say, hey, I see things this way, but like, what do you think? Because a lot of times, like Emily has this uncanny ability to see into some pretty big blind spots because of my own viewpoints, you know, and, mm-hmm. and uh, we have that relationship of trust where she can say, well, yeah, you haven't really thought about this, man. And um it's actually kept me from stepping in it. It's helped me to make <laughs> smarter decisions and ultimately be a lot more successful, I think, because of it. And, and even since, you know, we've stopped working at the same place, you know, that, that reliance is still there and its efficacy is still there, right? Like I, it still works. Like when I come to Emily with the problem and say, hey, I'm working on this. This is what I'm thinking about it. She still has really great insights that, what that didn't occur to me. Um, and that's, 
super valuable. And that's just on top of all the other great stuff, right? Of having somebody that you know is in your corner, somebody who you can trust, you know, and a lot of those other things that come from having like a close um, friendship and relationship. But it's that it's, it's in the differences that we have that, you know, I find in some ways the most value. So. Well, and that probably comes also from not doing the exact same thing. Like you guys aren't cookie cutters. You know, you're more demand gen, she's more content partners, operations. So to have someone that's your peer, but not your mirror, Mm -hmm. that probably comes from that. I don't know. What do you think, Emily? I think one of the things that I seem to have, you know, Nate kind of talked about this sort of the uncanny ability. Um, I have always sort of had a pretty good idea of what's going to happen at a company before it happens. Um, and I've never sort of known where that kind of like weird sort of clairvoyance came, comes from. And usually most people think I'm crazy and Mm -hmm. then it all kind of unfolds and they're like, oh my God, you were right. Um, and so Nate actually sort of finally pinpointed sort of what it is. And, um, I'm pretty good at pattern recognition. And Mm -hmm. so I can kind of see like, oh, I've seen this pattern before and this is what will happen. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was actually kind of able to bring that to our relationship and sort of say like, hey, this is going to happen. If if we want to avoid sort of catastrophe, this is the the sort of the roadmap out. And I think I did that enough times that Nate was like, oh, okay. And so now like <laughs> if I say like, if I kind of raise the flag and say there's a problem, I think the only time we've ever really kind of argued was when I felt like we were kind of in some sort of danger and he sort of blew me off. And mm. I... I think I've gotten to the point now where when I say it, he's like, I don't see it, but I believe you that that's true. And I think that for me, kind of what I get out of this relationship even more than that is I don't think I've ever had anyone in my career that knows me as well as a person mm-hmm. and also my professional self. And those two facets are so different. And so when I talk to my friends and say, oh, I'm frustrated about you know such and such with work, um, they're only looking out for sort of my interests as a human of like, well, you should just tell them this, or you should mm-hmm. just quit your job, or you should do this. And there's so much complexity to that. And so having someone who knows kind of like my whole self and kind of both of those facets so well, I think I, I value this friendship you know, so deeply because I'm sort of seen in a very different way and sort of kind of in a comprehensive way mm-hmm. so that when he gives me an opinion, even if I hate the opinion, I can't sort of, you know, devalue or discredit the fact that like he's looking out for my my best interest as a human and a friend. And he's also looking out sort of for my best interest of like what my kind of stated career goals are. I've never experienced that in another person. And I think so finding someone that you've worked with closely is like kind of paramount to being able to have that kind of relationship. You know, I kind of the thought occurred to me when when we were talking about um, this episode is that I derive more sort of confidence and self-esteem as a professional from Nate's respect in a very different way that I've never gotten from sort of a boss or a manager. And it's because a boss or a manager is incentivizing my behavior. Their feedback and their approval is trying to get me to do the thing that they want me to do for the department. And so like it it's not no strings attached and and it and I understand that as you know as people as someone who's you know managed other people in different contexts like I get it right you're trying to just get the right outcome. Um and so with Nate that sort of you know feedback or those um you know his support it's no strings attached. Like those, you know, his assessment of me is his assessment of me. Um, and he's not necessarily trying to sort of pull the strings to get a certain outcome. And so for me, it's a hundred percent changed the way I negotiate and advocate for myself 
because of, you know, I trust his opinion. And if he says, hey, you're really great at this thing, I start to believe that I'm really great at this thing. And so I, you know, he's, he's definitely sort of like, you know, backed me up into a corner of like, you have to advocate, you have to do this, you have to do that. I'm like, but I don't want to, it's uncomfortable. And he's mm-hmm. like, yeah, too bad you need to. And here's why. And, and then I do it because, you know, we have built that trust. Our listeners are listening here and are, are hearing about this fabulous trust that you guys have developed over the years. Can you maybe tell us how that happened or, you know, were there any events that solidified that trust? Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting question because in some ways it's the trust that's just built in a thousand ways every day, mm-hmm. right? Like it's mm-hmm. the fact that, you know, over the course of three or four years, like we showed up for each other every single day, you know, working on the small stuff. Um, and so I think if you're, if you're looking to build something like that, you know, first look for, you know, look for somebody who you jive well with, like mm-hmm. it took, it took us being in sort of like a, basically like a bottle episode, quote unquote, uh, tease the TV term of like being stuck together in a small booth for like three days straight, mm-hmm. uh, to actually start to get to know each other and realize like, Hey, this is a person who is actually pretty great. Uh, and like, I actually really, she's no longer this like enemy that's trying to impose extra steps in my like creative process and my ability to, to ship stuff quickly and efficiently. And instead she became this like pretty cool person who turns out may actually have my best interests at heart. And so accepting, you know, finding somebody that you like is, is I think first. And then after that, you know, it, it came down to trying to be a, a good coworker uh, after that of just, okay, like I like this person. Um, how can I help them professionally? You know, how can I be more open about uh, how they can help me? So there's all those thousand tiny ways, but then there are like big watershed moments, I think. Um, that really solidified it for us. And one of those was we had this enormous project that I thought was impossible. And uh, it was one of these, we're going to do this. We're either going to get it done and be heroes, or we're going to die in a horrible ball of flame. Like this is either it's going to go great or it's going to go terrible. And it's going to be a really, really hard thing uh, either way. And I remember we were traveling at the time um and we slacked each other we're basically like we're gonna do this and uh we ended up meeting in the business center of the hotel and working in the business center until probably 2 or 3 a.m on this and that was sort of like one of those moments where i think we realized hey this working relationship is one that we enjoy and I'm not necessarily showing up to do this because like, I want the glory. I'm showing up because you're showing up and I don't want you to have to try to do this alone. And I think that was like a real moment in our relationship of like, hey, this is actually really, this has become important to me outside of just like this work context of getting the job done. Mm-hmm. So I think look for those moments, you know, because when they hit, it's easy to, you know, I've worked other big projects that have been hard with other people. And I think there are probably people in there that I could have been uh, really good, you know, partners and friends with had I noticed that moment and said, hey, here's somebody who's pulling for me as hard as I'm pulling for them. I mean, I don't know. What do you what do you think? Emily? Well, I think I mean, a lot of it is it is it's built in a, you know, a tiny, you know, a thousand tiny moments. Um 
you know, we've also traveled to, you know, run events in, you know, different countries all over the world, trying to keep up with our sort of normal day jobs. And then also trying to put on these events. And I mean, the, the schedules are really grueling. So there's, there is an element of sort of this friendship and, and sort of working relationship has really been forged in fire of we've seen each other at our literal worst of, you know, super jet lagged, um, you know, exhaustion to the point of, you know, probably some medical concerns. And, um, and if you can kind of see the worst in someone and see them at their worst and sort of still kind of give them some grace and, and some, you know, compassion, Mm -hmm. it makes sort of the regular stuff seem, you know, seem easy by comparison, but really it is about showing up. It's about, it's not so much about, what you need to look for in someone else, but like, who is the person that you are? You know, are you the person that's going to stay in the business center until 2 a.m.? Or are you going to be the person that's like, no, I'm going to sit in my hotel room and watch TV and like, good luck. Yeah, have fun. Right? Like those, <laughs> those are choices and those are choices that all of us make. And I'm, I'm so incredibly fortunate that I have a friend that will stay up until two or three in the business center trying to get an impossible project done. You know, if we weren't successful together, you know, the outcome for both of us would have been really unfortunate. And so I think that having kind of our survival tied to each other probably has a huge part of that chemistry. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it really is about making the choices of, you know, look for someone who doesn't share your blind spots, you know, look mm-hmm. for someone who is, pushes you and challenges you and, you know, brings opposite perspectives and, and respect them enough to listen to them. You know, it wasn't, and there was plenty of times where we would say, yeah, I can't give up on this because I feel like it's too important. And then there was other times where we would say, yeah, you've convinced me. Um, and can you be humble enough to say those things to another person? And mm-hmm. if you are, you know, it's it's really about... And I think that's why we're really interested in sort of this good working order, right? Like, it's not so much that, you know, part of it's selfishly motivated. Like, I need Nate to stay in good working order because I've come to rely on him. So like, mm-hmm. I need him to be functioning because I've come to rely on him. And so, you know, part of it is finding, you know, finding someone that you have friendly competition with, finding someone that, you know, inspires you and find someone that like stands up for you, sometimes even against yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and do that for other people, you know, show up for other people, um, create that space to sort of give honest feedback, right? Like we have, we've had to create that space of like, this is a safe zone to say, Hey, I feel like you're letting me down right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's what I need from you. Um, and so I think that, I think there is kind of two parts of sometimes it's, you know, we sort of had this weird kind of, you know, there's weird, you know, physics and chemistry of our situation that sort of, you know, definitely an environmental component, but part of it is you have to sort of build it and nurture it too. So mm-hmm. it's a little, it's definitely a little bit of both. So I would say to kind of summarize all the things that you guys said in terms of building a career peer relationship, you want someone who you trust, but you want someone that has your back and who you can bounce things off of and who isn't your same person, but understands you enough, both as a human, as well as a professional, because I think part of it and what part of what makes you work is like, if one of you is a finance person, one of you is a marketer, it might be too far off. Whereas you're both in marketing, different parts of marketing, but there's enough similarities. You know each other's worlds well enough that you can look at it objectively versus like one of you is an accountant and the other is like, I, I don't know. 
you know, just go for it. You got it. You yeah. know, like that's <laughs> totally different. So, yeah. Yeah. You can cheer each other on from a knowledgeable and authentic place and also be like, well, you might not want to because la 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 versus, you know, just the go for it kind of perspective, which you'll get from a friend or someone that doesn't know your job as thoroughly as you two do. Yeah, I think that's actually a really great point because, um, yeah, the whole idea of finding a career peer, you know, when we first started thinking about this idea as like a bigger concept, there's a saying that I heard years ago that was, you know, as you're progressing in your career, you should always have like a mentor. You should always have a mentee. So, so a mentor, somebody who's ahead of you, a mentee who's behind you. And then you should have somebody that you are on the same level with. And like, you just need to maintain those three relationships at every point in your career. So it was a piece of advice. And, um, you know, I think, you know, at times I've had great mentors. I've also mentored people, but I think until honestly, uh, I met Emily and we were working together. I hadn't really had that kind of co-peer relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, to your point, it wouldn't have worked if she had been in accounting or if she had been a biologist, mm-hmm. you right. know, it was somebody who does something similar to me. And so had some insight into that. So, which is why I think when you're looking for that kind of relationship, you know, look around you at the people that you work with first, um, to see who, who amongst them, do you find you respect their work? Uh, you think that they're, they're doing a good job uh, and you also don't hate their guts. That's a good place to start. When you like them as a person and you respect them as a person, like, yeah. like I respect how Kat carries herself and how she acts in meetings and what she has to say. Like right. those are important pieces. Yeah. For, for me, it was as much as there was some friction at the beginning of a relationship, at no point did I have any illusions that Emily was not super smart. Like every meeting I sat in with her, every email I would see come through with threads, she always had feedback and it was always really smart. It was hard for me to find any fault in what she was saying, uh, sometimes irritatingly so. <laughs> and and I mean, that was sort of the first step was like, okay, well, like she's not a joker, right? Like uh, I really respect her her acumen as a marketer, as a business person. And you know, over the years, that respect has grown. But that was definitely like a, a big kernel for, you know, in our early relationship of just me having that respect to begin with. And I think to distill it down even further, it's it's three things. It's respect, it's honesty, and it's strength. Mm-hmm. Like I have to respect the person. Um, I need them to be honest and give me honest feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, and I need them to be strong enough to give me honest feedback. Mm-hmm. Because if if Nate is an echo chamber that's like, yeah. That's everything you say is a great idea. Everything is right. Every approach you, you know, every first idea you have of how to approach the situation that you're struggling with. If he's just like, go, go, go. And he's like a cheerleader. I don't have any use for that. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't need that. I need someone that will challenge me and hold me accountable to the things that really matter. And like, mm-hmm. it sucks sometimes. Like, it's not pleasant, but mm-hmm. it's so important. And it's made I think both of us stronger. Um, and I think that as we've seen more success through that, we've started to realize like, oh, there's there's something here and this is magic. Mm-hmm. I love the way you guys support each other in stretching, be, becoming better people. Mm-hmm. That's it, It's clear that there's that component there. So before you decide to 
go into business together? Like what were some concerns? What, how did you set ground rules? How did you set, set like you do this, you do that, especially as you're both working now. So how did you go? I, I realized there was a lot of negotiation, a lot of conversation. You're both so thoughtful about things, but like as people who wanted to remain career colleagues, you know, before, during, after, how has that kind of gone? And what advice do you have for people who are thinking about it? So since we started, we've both gone from this being a side hustle to a full-time hustle and then back again. So, Mm -hmm. and never at the same time. Um, So for us, kind of that 50-50 split is just, it isn't realistic. And so Mm -hmm. we've kind of, we made a decision early on of that the friendship would always be first and it would always be the priority. And that if we ever had to sacrifice the business for the friendship, we would. Um, and so once we sort of had that sort of set in place, um, we, we just sort of mold the business around to make it fit what we need. And so we look at, um, particularly with the business stuff, who has the most time, who has the financial need. Um, you know, if someone, if it's a side hustle for one and a full time for the other, like that's a situation. And we talk about that. And then we kind of just look at sort of what seems right. And so, you know, we talk about it ad nauseum until we both agree. Um, (laughs) And then we kind of just sort of shape it around that. But I think also there's just a commitment to communication of this is a thing that I value. And so I carve out time to make sure that it's a thing when I need it. Like you can't just call someone when you need something, you have to kind of give and take. And so it's, you know, it's putting money in the bank socially. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it's an emotional bank account, right? (laughs) And you don't want to go when you need it and have it be overdrawn. And so Mm -hmm. um, just being really mindful of much like we choose projects, we chose projects that we sort of gravitate towards and that sort of fire us up. Like this is something that's an important component of my life. And so I carve out the time to make sure that this sort of gets the time that it deserves. And that comes at the cost to other things and projects and other parts of my life. Um, and that's, that's by choice. Yeah. And I think that's kind of been a fixture from the beginning when we first started talking about doing this was I, we had a pretty clear, I think we had a pretty clear understanding going into it, um, based on our conversations of, of what we wanted out of this and, and the priorities that we set. And so, you know, having that clear communication, uh, I think is always a really healthy way to, to begin anything to making sure that everybody's on the same page. We have the same plan. Uh, we have the same understanding about who's doing what, um, because, you know, this is not the first business that I have started with somebody that I've worked with in the past. Uh, but it is the only one that's lasted. Uh, and that's in part because in the past it's, people have had hidden expectations. They've had, they haven't been entirely honest about what their willingness to commit was and ultimately led to the dissolution of the, of the partnership. But in this case, you know, going into it, eyes pretty open uh, with a lot of communication beforehand, I think was pretty critical in helping us get through some of the more awkward pieces. Like, you know, Emily talked about, you know, hey, one of us is full-time, one of us is part-time. It's pretty easy to to say that, but actually figuring out how to structure a business so that that works and still feels equitable to all the partners is challenging. And it's a lot mm-hmm. of weird conversations, especially if you hate talking about money, like some people on this podcast, mm-hmm. namely me. 
uh, it's it's awkward and uh, it's not a fun part for me, but it's critical. So you know, that's my more tactical two cents on that. <laughs> and I think that, you know, people, it's really, you know, as uncomfortable it is, it's really easy to talk about the money. Um, and for me, the the work that we do together, even if it doesn't generate revenue, is incredibly valuable. And so I've tried to broaden my scope of, you know, do I feel like the value split is equitable? And that isn't always the same as the financial split. Mm -hmm. Um, Because the financial split kind of depends on what we need that split to be for various reasons. Um, And so for me, you know, there, for someone who has sort of, you know, like long-term operational focus, um, you know, learning how to do things like accounting, we don't get paid to do our own accounting, right? But it's a valuable skill for sort of me to navigate, right? There's a lot of stuff that I've had to, you know, I have a choice um, in how I perceive the work that we do, especially the non-revenue generating parts of the work. Um, I edit and produce our podcast. You know, I don't, that does not put money in my bank for the time that I spend on on the weekend. And so, but it's something that I wanted to pursue and it's something that I wanted more experience in. And so I was willing to sort of make that sacrifice. And so I've tried to broaden my scope of is the work that I'm doing providing value to me, even if it's not just financial. And I think that Mm -hmm. that's also really that sort of mindset shift of I can choose to be really annoyed and really irritated that I'm spending my free time doing work that doesn't pay me. Um, And that's a choice and I don't recommend it. And so being able to find a way to, you know, not, I've, I've heard a lot of like toxic positivity being thrown around and like not to kind of go into that territory, but but I, I mean, I have a choice in my perception of, of what I'm doing. And sometimes if I feel like I'm doing too much stuff that doesn't provide the return value, we talk about it and I say like, Hey, I don't love doing this. I need extra help or mm-hmm. we need to find a better way to do this, or we need to pay someone else to do it. Um, and so I think that that kind of separating money from value, I think can be really important to people or it, it should be important to people. And I think that it can be helpful. But that's the thing you, I feel like you guys have created that space so that you decide this editing the podcast. All right. I got the skill, check the box. I'm done with this. That then yep. you could bring that to the table and renegotiate the task of podcast editing and decide, okay, we're going to pay for this. Or Nate decides he wants to broaden his horizons and do it or whatever. And so you've created that space for you to take that on without that being a lifelong commitment that you then resent. Yep. And that's pretty cool. Renegotiation is a constant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's shift gears just a little bit here. Um, what advice would you have to give, say, colleagues who might be thinking about starting a business together? What would you share if someone were to ask you for advice? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I've touched on this a little bit, but I I cannot espouse more strongly the the honesty aspect of it. Like be, if you're going to go into business with somebody, be 100% honest with them because, you know, once you start that business, like your names are both on the paper, you're both responsible. And if you're not committed to that, or if there are gotchas or expectations that you haven't voiced, um, it's going to make things real bad. Um, it's, it's either going to be really hard time, a really hard time getting through it. Um, or it's just not going to work. Um, and if there's one piece of advice I could give, it would be that, uh, clear communication definitely is the follow on after that, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, not just being honest, but being very clear about it. 
uh, be very clear about your your expectations, your thoughts, your hopes. You know what you want to get out of this, what you hope. Uh, you know the vision for the business to be. If you can get those two things down, I think your chances for success go way way up. And add on to that, and and this doesn't apply to all businesses because if your goal is to you know open up a clothing store, then obviously there's you know rent considerations and stuff, right? Like we we exist in sort of the digital realm, so we have a lot of flexibility that like a brick and mortar business not wouldn't necessarily. But I think also do it for a while. It's very easy to be enthusiastic about it at the beginning. <laughs> um, we probably waited six months to sort of formalize it legally. Um, and so like that was six months of a potential cooling off period to be like, are we still into this? Are we really willing to sort of make this happen? Um, so kind of the working together to sort of try it before you buy it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But I mean, once you do it, like the IRS cares and, you know, it, it involves lawyers to shut it back down again. So like it's, it's not a trivial thing. So kind of maybe be sure. Um, mm -hmm. And also be okay if no one else gets it, you know? You don't need other people's approval, even if it, you know, even if like give yourself permission to fail, give yourself permission to not know, give yourself permission to give each other permission to sort of have those uncomfortable conversations. And I think that, you know, I, I, I had contacted a, a sort of a resource that was like a business mentor and he wanted a very traditional business plan. And I tried to sort of explain our concept and he thought, that I was insane. <laughs> and I called Nate afterwards and I was like, yeah, this guy is not our guy. Like mm -hmm. he's, and, and I could have taken that the other way. Right. I could have said, mm -hmm. Oh, we're doing this wrong. Right. And we need, you know, we need to do this business plan exactly as we've been told mm -hmm. to. And so like, I think there's a little bit of have some disregard for what's worked for everybody else and find what works for you. That's yeah. great advice. And to, mm -hmm. to follow up on that too, because it's also teased something in the back of my brain, but I think, um, you know, this is something that you see a lot in, in startups, but be willing to be flexible, right? Like mm -hmm. don't, you know, you form this business. Yeah. One thing in mind that, you know, you kind of wanted to build it around, be willing to be flexible about it. You know, mm -hmm. we did have like a pretty concrete concept when we first started the business that is not the same as the concept that we have now. Mm -hmm. And if we had not been willing to be flexible, flexible about our, expectations, you know, that would have been it, right? We would have said, well, this is garbage and I don't want to do it anymore. So like, let's just shut this thing down. And I think that would have been a shame because it's in the flexibility of, okay, what are we doing that is working? Or what about this is working for us? And how can we pivot that? Mm -hmm. um, has led us to doing something that we, we really like, you know, something that we love and we're excited about. And I have no doubt will lead to other things that we're super excited about. And so I think that's also pretty important just to be flexible. We had to sort of change our business to sort of find product market fit with us. Mm -hmm. You know, we had to kind of mm -hmm. keep shaping it until we thought this is right. And I think that people feel like things are too precious, right? I had this idea and mm -hmm. I told my friends I was going to launch X, you know, and, um, you know, don't make anything too precious, like really sort of listen and be creative. And there's a feeling when you know something is right. You know, it's very clear. And when you know it, you're like, yep, this is it. This is what we're going to do. Um, and so kind of sort of be intuitive, like pay attention to that intuition. Mm -hmm. But listen to others, but don't let them boss you around in a way. Like hear people's advice, take it under advisement. But if 
I also believe in businesses that are started by people that are solving their own problems mm-hmm. and are building for their either past selves, future selves, current selves. And I think you guys are doing that. And so it's more authentic, but it's also, you know, there's a need because you've had the need. And I think that's different than the person who's like, I think I want to, you know, have a pie company. I've never made pie, but I sure do like it. You know, it's like, okay, learn to make pie and make it unique. Like it's just too far, far from their own experience to have that authenticity that you guys bring. So I want to thank you both so much. You have been a pleasure and really taught us a lot about that working relationship and finding that person and how to evolve that relationship. Where can our listeners find you and learn more about you and find your business? Promote. So I think the best place to find us, um, we definitely recommend uh, checking out Good Working Order. So mm-hmm. um, you can find out more about that at megamouthradio.com, which is where you can get links to our social handles um, and you can learn about new shows that we are launching soon. Um, and then osa-ventures.com is sort of our our very simple kind of uh, corporate website that that sort of links you out to our sort of different brand families, if uh, depending on sort of what you're interested in learning more about. Awesome. Thank you both so much yes. for joining us. And until next time. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you, guys. Yeah, it's been delightful. Thank you. This is Real Job Talk, a podcast about jobs, careers, and what's not said at the water cooler. Our website with all Real Job Talk related information is realjobtalk.com. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us your questions, topics you'd like to talk about, and Real Job Talk stories. And you may find them featured on a future episode. Use the website or email us at realjobtalk at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Real Job Talk. And on Instagram and Facebook at Real Job Talk Show. My name is Kat Troyer. You can find me on Twitter at Daily Cat, And on LinkedIn, you can find me via Kathleen Nelson Troyer. And I'm Liz Bronson. On Twitter, I'm at Liz Beeks and Salt. And on LinkedIn, I'm Liz Bronson. Real Job Talk is a Tech Reckoning production. Our producer is John Mark Troyer. Our graphic artists are Lexi and Zachary Bronson. And we're here by the water cooler waiting to talk with you.